That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday. To give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, welcome everybody. We are back to another exciting episode of uh, The Same Old Song. Here we are on the third Sunday after the Epiphany, and um, as always, I'm joined by my partner in crime, uh, Aaron Zimmerman of St. Albans in Waco, Texas. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm excited, and I can't tell you I'm just uh, thrilled to be talking about the third Sunday of Epiphany. <laughs> well, if only you could see us. We're both in our clerics, which is a, is a rare thing, but we're feeling very important and very insightful, and we've got a lot of uh, great sermon material to help you craft your sermon and for the layman to give you a fresh insight into the lectionary reading so you can judge your pastor when they don't preach this way. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, and, uh, usually, Jake, I mean, you're just wearing, you have this like string tank top sort of thing. It's neon. Right. Mm-hmm. has a picture of a chili pepper. Yeah, on that's the my bodywork. That's my bodyworks tank top. And, um, he's, and he's saying, so hot. Like, that's, that's a body that's, glove. That's, just, that's, the, that's, that's the brand. Right. Sometimes Maui and Sons that are OP. <laughs> Do you remember Town and Country Surf Design? Oh, yeah, man. TNC, baby. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, but um, no, moving I'm on, moving on. Yeah, we're both and, uh, looking, Yeah, good. And I think it's cutting off official. just enough just enough oxygen to give us that extra <laughs> level of insight, uh, just reducing the blood flow to the brain. So let's jump in. Third Sunday after the Epiphany, January 26th, you guys are going to be preaching. Also, you may want to throw in that Monday is John Chrysostom's feast day, and then Thomas Aquinas on this Tuesday, the 28th of January. So anybody want to get in some patristics or some Catholicity, there you go. But we're going to be focusing on the third Sunday after the Epiphany, which brings us to Isaiah 9, and then which gets quoted by Jesus in Matthew, or by Matthew in Matthew 4. And then before we do that, though, uh, we'll do 1 Corinthians. So that's where we are. Uh, we begin with Isaiah chapter 9, uh, mm. where we get this line about Zebulun and Naphtali, which, again, I always tell your people, if you're going to preach on this, you have to explain it, because those are words that make people fall asleep faster than five ambience and a bottle of wine. But the, uh, but the context is exciting, you know, when you if you can lay this out and flush it out for them. And actually, the context begins to um, to roll out and speak into a lot of people's lives and exactly where they are. Zebulun and Naphtali were the northern tribes of Israel. They were way up there in the Galilee. And uh, they um, were settled by uh, various Gentile groups. Uh, the Goyam had uh, set up their own neighborhoods, the nations. And, um, and with that brought their own culture, their own ladies by which the gentlemen married and... Um, and uh, their own religions, and so um, they uh, were sitting in profound darkness, and um, and especially, um, uh, you know, um, during this time, you have uh, the nations of As- Assyria, 
uh, coming to bring judgment. And um, But it's interesting um, that he says this. And so this would have been in the northern Israel. This would have been a very funky place, not known for its faithfulness. And uh, it says, there will be, gloom, be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In former times, he brought into contempt the land. And um, you have this concept of darkness, have seen great light. Those who've lived in a land of deep darkness, um, this... A lot of your parishioners are in the land of darkness. A lot mm-hmm. of your parishioners have um, been in deep darkness. And uh, there is something you can preach to them um, about this and about the joy and the light of epiphany. Yep. There are people in your congregation who, if their spouse were to read their text messages, would have a major <laughs> life Ugh. catastrophe. There are people in your congregation who, if you saw their medical records, you would realize they're a completely different person than you thought. And these are, by the way, things you can mention in the sermon uh, Mm -hmm. because people will feel seen and understood, not exposed in a a hurtful way, but just they'll, they'll realize what it means to live in darkness because most people don't think of themselves as living in darkness, and yet there are vast acres of their souls that are hidden. And so this idea of walking in darkness and seeing light uh, and God having mercy on people that are not looking for light, don't know they're in their dark, think they're just fine, this is what Isaiah is saying, this incredible message. Uh, And that's why it matters that he says Zebulun and Naphtali. Like, these are places that are forgotten. These are dark places. These are places of not religious people and not faithful people. These are, are, as Jake said, the the kind of... uh, Folks that have wandered away, Galilee of the and, nations, and uh, you know, and whether your people know that they're in darkness, as you preach descriptively and describe what darkness looks like, all of a sudden the yoke of the burden begins to weigh on their shoulders, you know, mm-hmm. and oh man, this is me, and um, and this is where the gospel according to Isaiah comes in powerfully by which the bar across the, the rod of their oppressors, you have broken as the day of Midian. And indeed, um, God has done that by forgiving their sins in this Messiah, who is the great light. And so as you preach and you preach the historic context of Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 4, it really opens up kind of the um, subjective and existential context of your parishioners and where they may be, and by which you can then deliver the gospel and the forgiveness of sins to them, the one who breaks even the yokes of burdens on their backs as well. Yep, because of Christ who himself takes that burden upon himself. Mm. So you got to... man. Man, if you're talking about the rod of the oppressor, you got to go straight to the cross of Christ there because he does... um, uh, bear that on his own back and for us. Mm. So, uh, so that's that's if you want to preach Isaiah, there's a lot of gospel. There's some beauty there. You have to do a little homework to unpack it, but it can really preach. You and, can do it. See si se they. You so. can do it. And so, the, I mean, the thing to remember in Epiphany, the whole message is this revealing Epiphany of the fact that Jesus is not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. Meaning, Jesus is for everybody. And so that's going to be a theme you hear. Obviously, it's in Isaiah nine. It's going to come up uh, in Matthew, where it mentions the Isaiah 9 passage. But even in 1 Corinthians, which we move on towards now, um, Paul is talking to a community of Christians that kind of want to make Jesus just for their own little community and their own little pastor. And Paul has to remind them that, no, it's for everybody, and the message is the gospel for everybody. So about this 1 Corinthians, Mm -hmm. or anything else you want to say about that, Jake, before I talk about it? 
jump in and then I'll clean it up. No, <laughs> <laughs> You'll mop up whatever heresies I leave lying around. That's how just we work. Kidding. Uh, but are you? So in First Corinthians, uh, we're we're going to be in this for a few weeks through the season of Epiphany. And it's appropriate that it's a letter that we read during Epiphany because it's writing to a community of people that are both Gentiles and Jews who have come to faith in Christ in that sort of cosmopolitan city of Corinth. Uh, uh, and, uh, the... and, a, and for the record and a church that's sitting in darkness. Yeah. You know, this is, this is the powerful thing is that, you know, everybody's looking for the pure church. And, um, if first Corinthians tells us anything is that that doesn't exist. Um, uh, and what Paul is going to do here is going to continue to remind this unfaithful harlot of a church of the first thing. And really, this is what we do as preachers. We 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 need to. Rem- we're never going to find a pure, pure church, and so we go where we're planted, and we remind that our congregations of what's of chief importance. Yeah, and I think that's why Jake. I know you were telling me you chose the 2020 stewardship thing for Calvary St. George's to be faithless harlots. Isn't that what you what <laughs> yeah. you picked? Fund the fund the faithless harlots harlot, harlot fund. So yeah. anyway, anyway, but uh, yeah. So we talked. So First Corinthians we opened last week. And that was Paul saying all these wonderful things about the Corinthians, grace to you, peace to you. And again, we pointed out how God, or Paul, knows as he's writing this that the Corinthians are a bunch of knuckleheads living in a whole hot mess of sin, uh, yet he still extends grace to them. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, now beginning with verse 10, we begin to get in some of what that mess is. And he's going to change the tone now and say, Basically, there's a ton of divisions, and this we see this all the time. We see this. I mean, the Methodist Church has just announced their plan to split, and the Episcopal Church Episcopal has seen Church. its own share of schisms. Uh, Lutherans, I mean, are you ELCA or LCMS or are you Wisconsin? Uh, and then there's, uh, I mean, all sorts of divisions with the Baptist, Reformed, non-denominational churches also have their own splits as well. Um, so he now is appealing to his brothers and sisters that they be in agreement and there be no divisions, which, by the way, just shows how effective of a preacher St. Paul was. Uh, <laughs> Terrible. But, but, you know, so. Jesus himself prayed that we all would be one, and uh, yeah. that prayer is still sort of unanswered, at least uh, um, in human terms. So Paul says, you guys are getting too wrapped up into your church identity. You've forgotten that the main thing is Christ and the fact that he is the one who has done everything for you. Um, Amazing even that Paul says, I'm really glad that I didn't even baptize any of you except whoever knows who these guys are, Crispus and Gaius. Well, this is one of my favorite lines. Maybe Uh, also, he's like, he's he's like, like, go ahead. I did baptize also the householders, but beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. And I just picture one like soul Corinthian, this like Charlie Corinthian and a single tear coming down his face. He's like, he forgot me. He ba- you baptized me. <laughs> well, it's what you get is a real sense of Paul writing this letter in the moment as a busy working preacher. And he's just kind of, he's like, I didn't baptize, oh wait, yeah, I did, oh, that was right, I did baptize Stephanus. And then uh, everyone else, I'm not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all, so. yeah, he was a busy guy. I, you know, and but I think he ends, that, and then, But he jumps from that very particular, who did I baptize, to this universal thing, Christ sent me to proclaim the gospel, with not with eloquent wisdom, <clears throat> or a lucite podium, or thousand dollar 
Jordans. Uh, he sent me to proclaim the gospel uh, uh, with no worldly power, that the cross might not be emptied of its power, and the message is foolishness, which it is. And this is why the church always has this temptation to move away from the message of the gospel, the message of the cross, because it is so offensive, it is so foolish. What do you mean you got to die in order to live? What do you yeah. mean i got to confess my sins in order to be saved? What do you mean i got to admit that I'm powerless? This is why people, by the way, don't want to go to AA, because nobody wants to admit they have a problem. Same thing. You can be much more crowd-pleasing if you just say, everything's fine, you're great. Um, yeah. But that's not the message of the gospel. Yeah, and I think you know, and uh, you know, I think First Corinthians is such an amazing text for uh, preachers and pastors this day, especially this day and age. I mean, we have what you see here is the same thing that happens today. Everybody attaching themselves to a personality. Mm-hmm. You know, well, this thing really, you know, Pastor Pastor Billy really like, you know, I really get a lot from him. Or I like the music over here, and I like this over here, and I like the community over here. And he's like, uh, none of that actually is what church is ultimately about. You know, um, none of that. Uh, the main thing is the preaching of the gospel. And I think we're right on par with uh, St. Paul here in that you and I preach it with no eloquent wisdom either. Um, that is ta-da, right. Ta-da. But, uh, Speak but, uh, for yourself, Jake. But uh, the truth is, is that this is this is the point. It is The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And you will, when you preach the gospel Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, in moralistic Americanity, uh, you're going to have people who are going to come up to you and say, "Yeah, yeah, 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 Jesus, totally, I get it." I've had, I, I mean, I just had someone say that to me the other day. Yeah, 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 Jesus totally died for my sins, but what about what next? Yeah. You know what I mean? What next? And let that dog hunt. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But mm-hmm. here's, here's the kicker. To those who are sitting in darkness, mm. to those who do not have it together, to those who are just longing for someone to break that rod across their back, um, this is the power of God unto salvation. Yep. Nothing else. Yep. Nothing else but the words that you preach focused on Christ and him crucified that leads people to sell, creates faith in their heart. That's the power of God unto salvation. Nothing else. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, this is... Sorry, I got a little misty. I like it. It's, it's so true. I mean, because it's what saved me. It saved you. Yep. Um, and you and I in our ministry, we've seen it save countless of tons of people. Yeah. And, uh, and they can't get it anywhere else. And That's there right. is a famine in this country of the word because people are moving beyond the cross of Christ. Yeah. And I got to say, you know, that, and there are some listeners that might not agree with uh, me or you on this, but, uh, and I wouldn't use these words in a sermon, but I think the important idea that underlies it is key, and that's substitutionary atonement. And yep. this is a doctrine that has been maligned and I think mistaught and abused in lots of places in a very. Uh, uh, traumatic and harmful way, and so we don't advocate that at all, but um, the idea is that God would carry for you a burden that you cannot carry for yourself, and there are other theories of atonement, and those are great and true, Christus Victor all the way, for sure, uh, but there, but the, the, um, the but can I say, is, yeah, just, I love Christus Victor, praise God, um, but can I say, when I am sitting in darkness, yes, yes, 
That's right. When I am, when I am like, you know, I've got a thousand, I don't, but if I did have a thousand text messages on my phone that I wouldn't want my wife to see, if I was in a job that I thought was hell on earth, um, I'm not experiencing Victor. What I want desperately is a substitute to come and yeah. break that rod. Yeah. I mean, everybody deep down, what you, you wish there was somebody who could take the things that you cannot carry out of your life and off of your heart and set you free. And that is, that's what we mean by Christ carrying these burdens for you, carrying your sins for you, all these sorts of things. And this is what Paul 100% was uh, preaching about and preaching from. And that is the message of the gospel. And your congregation, I guarantee you, everybody is desperate to hear this word that someone is carrying the burdens they can't carry. Can I just say, though, too, also today... I'm sorry, we're out of time. We're going to have to move on to the next... No, you can't say. I, I love First Corinthians. It is. It's one of my favorite epistles, and uh, you know, I think a lot of the times today, you know, two thousand years out, people are like, "Well, that's just Pauline theology." Uh, can we just land the plane on this? When Saint Paul was writing this, he wasn't like, "This is awesome Pauline theology." <laughs> no, this is this is like this is what he understood the faith to be. Right, and it includes a substitute. That's right. It includes and, a substitute, and it includes the doctrine of the atonement. Well, and it, in, I mean, from the very beginning with John the Baptist, and this is what we talked about last week, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like a lamb is not there to be, oh, that's a cute lamb. Let's put him in a petting zoo. A lamb mm-hmm. in Jewish thinking was for a, a substitutionary sacrificial sacrifice. What a great, what a great example. Uh, yes, this <laughs> lamb is a great example for me to follow. Anyways, uh, so th- yeah, I don't know if that was in our notes to talk about today, but I went there and I'm glad we did. We did. Uh, and I if you have too. questions or comments, uh, let Keep us them know. to yourself. Send no, them to Jake. <laughs> uh, we're on the social media now, so you can hit up the social meds and tell us what yeah. you really think. Uh, but just remember that Jake's ego is fragile, uh, and I'm between therapists, so just keep that in mind. As you, uh, I don't have my normal network of support, so be gentle. Okay, Jake is losing it over there. I love it. He's laughing, people. I finally cracked through that outer shell. That's good. All That's right. good. I got to loosen up the collar. I was laughing so between therapists. That's good. Yeah. Um, now we come I'm to Matthew vulnerable chapter. right now. Okay. Ma- <laughs> I'm watching a lot of British baking show. Okay. Matthew <laughs> chapter 4. This great this is 12 passage. through 23. That's right. Let's bring it together. People are getting annoyed. Just get to the text. Okay. Yeah. This is a famous passage. It picks up with the story. It's like in the middle of the story, like meanwhile, back in Gotham City, because it's like, now when Jesus heard that John would have arrested, he went to Galilee, and your congregation would be like, what? John who? Who got arrested? Yeah. So, you know, it kind of picks up in the middle of the story. Jesus uh, makes his home in Capernaum by the sea. Uh and you can tell people that's a real place they can visit with a big brutalist Roman Catholic church that looks like a UFO on top of Peter's house. But the important thing here is that Zebulun and Naphtali are mentioned in Isaiah 9, and that shows up right here. So this is yeah. the fulfillment of prophecy. That's exactly, and that's why, that's why Matthew uses this, because no one had called it Zebulun and Naphtali for hundreds of years. That would be like me saying, I live in Gramercy in New Amsterdam. You know, right. like, what are you talking about? Like he specifically references the old name of the area um, so that people will know that Jesus is up there, not by random chance, not because he threw a dartboard and was like, mm, I'm going to start my ministry here. But he is indeed doing 
what uh, he came to do, and that was to fulfill all righteousness and to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so he's going to this dark place to begin his ministry. Yep, and he begins it by saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near, or the kingdom of heaven has arrived, it's here. And what's wonderful about that is he doesn't say, um, it will come if you get your act together. He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is on offer. Uh, He's saying it is here. It's here right now. This grace is here for you now. And I think it's really important that we identify what the kingdom of heaven is um, because it's um, so confused often in a lot of uh, liberal Protestant circles that we run in. Um, uh, The kingdom of heaven is not this abstract thing um, out there that God needs our help to usher in, you know, Um, The kingdom of heaven um, in Matthew's context, the Hebraic context there, is a reference to God's people in God's place under God's rule. And if you go back to the prophet Isaiah and what he's talking about, out of the stump of Jesse shall come a shoot, a.k.a. one faithful person is going to be the entire nation of Israel, is going to be this entire kingdom. And so what Jesus, when he says the kingdom of heaven has come near to you, He's referencing to himself, and this is why he's doing the miracles, because these are all signs of the presence of the kingdom that he is. Mm-hmm. And so uh, repent, because it's come. And uh, and why does he say that? Because when the kingdom comes near you, uh, judgment's coming. But there's good news in that, because he breaks the rod of the uh, oppressed. Well, yeah, and the kingdom of heaven, and another way I've heard it described I think is helpful. Kingdom of heaven means what the world looks like when God is in charge. Uh, and that's and, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. And how does that look? It means it looks like forgiveness. It looks like mercy. It looks like pardon. So the repentance is... Um, a good and thing. A, it's a, Yeah, it's giving up the world where you are in control, where you are in charge, which was always an illusion anyways. And it's 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 giving up. And, it, and we've talked about AA before. Uh, um, you know, when you come into the meeting and you say, hi, my name is so-and-so, and and I'm an alcoholic, and the 12 steps begin with the statement, we admitted our life had become unmanageable, we're powerless to change it. That's the repentance. Uh, It's repenting from the idea that you can earn anything, that you can do things in your own strength, that you can justify yourself. Repenting from that and and yielding to the kingdom, yielding to a a higher power, the one who can actually do the work for you, which you can't do for yourself. And so there, Jesus, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, and off in the distance are these boats and a few jet skis and, you know, men in Speedos listening to techno music. And then he saw two brothers, <laughs> Simon, who's... Have you ever been to Galilee? That's what's yeah, going on there. Jake's not and kidding. So- <laughs> There's like cruise ships that leave every night from Tiberias for a real good time. And if you do take if you do take the Jesus boats out onto the uh, Sea of Galilee, you will... See, like I saw one of those guys with those like jet packs. It's like a water yeah. jet pack where you can kind of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's and, a, and it's in a, a black deal. speedo. Yeah, and uh, and you know, I mean, it looks like I mean, yeah, like these are real places, Isra- people. Don't Jack, I mean, yeah, jacked Israeli men, and um, it's uh, yeah. So there they are, and then he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and uh, and Jesus says, "Follow me, and I'll make you fish for people." Um, that like that is amazing. And what do you think about when you think about? Uh, fishing for people. What kind of title is that? What do you, what does that mean? Well, it's audacious for a lot of reasons. One, these are people that have no ministry experience and really don't know who <laughs> Jesus is. He's like, Hey, I'm starting a new ministry. You want to join me? Uh, like, yeah. 
And you definitely hear in this, there's the creative power of the Word of God, yes. capital W, capital Amen. G, because it's sort of like God said, let there be light, and there was light. Uh, God says, your sins are forgiven, and your sins are forgiven. And here Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. And immediately they leave their net. It's crazy. It's bananas. Mm. If somebody walked up, you're filling your gas tank at your car, and at the gas station, somebody walks up to you, because it's not New Jersey, it's not self-service, or it's not full service. And they walk up to you, and they say, hey... Why don't you leave everything? I'm going to start this new religion. You'd be like, no way. But here, the word of God empowers and calls people to do yeah. what they do. And so what's kind of amazing here is he picks unqualified people in the worst region, uh, least educated, no relevant experience. And he says, and this is imputation. This is creation, uh, creative power of God's word. All that happens. And so this, when people doubt God's call in their life or whether his forgiveness is real for them, just look at this story because what he says actually comes to pass. So he says, follow me, you follow him. When he says, I forgive you, you're forgiven. Yeah. You don't have a resume? Awesome. That's great. <laughs> yeah. What? You have a rap sheet that's like 12 miles long? Perfect. Yeah. And Sign I up. think, you know, and that's, it just goes that it's very cliche, but it's very true. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, you know, um, and this is it. And to follow and to be a fish for people, um, you know, Paul Zoll once said this, and it's really true. It means that you, your life is so changed and so transformed that you're actually genuinely interested in other people and in their salvation. And, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about this before the show launched about that. Um, um, the, what's his name? Penn. Um, oh yeah. Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette is the big tall, mm-hmm. uh, I'm wearing a three piece suit in honor of Penn and Teller right now. They're yeah. always wearing three piece suits. Uh, Penn Teller and, uh, Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette is the big tall one who is the illusionist magician in Vegas and a famous and outspoken atheist. Yeah. And so anyway, after one of his amazing shows, he had a fan approach him who was a Christian and just was like, you know, Penn, I think you're amazing. And I, I would just love to tell you about Jesus. And anyway, some of Penn's entourage started kind of laughing. And because uh, they knew that Penn was an atheist and what's this Christian doing? And uh, Penn turned around and said, you know, this guy's showing me that he actually genuinely cares about me. If I was standing in a highway and I thought a tr- if and you thought a truck was coming on board, I hope you'd save me. And, uh, and he was like, this is what this guy's doing. And, uh, and actually, it turned out he, was, he didn't convert, but he was incredibly grateful. But you see, like, you're genuinely interested in other people. And you're interested specifically in their salvation and sharing with them the cross. Yeah. And, you know, uh, that Penn has talked about that um, encounter uh, publicly and in interviews. And uh, a number of times he said, you know, he really respects Christians who knock on his door to share the gospel uh, after they get through the barbed wire and the Doberman pinchers. But uh, <laughs> because it means they actually believe what they say they believe. And yeah. he has a lot of respect for people with integrity. He's like, if you're a Christian and you're not telling people about Jesus, like, do you really believe this? And uh, and actually, Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew, when they would uh, do their evangelism training, they would even show some of his interviews to point out to people, you know, he's kind of got a point there. Um, yeah. And when, when he found out that they were using it, he was actually cool with it and was in agreement with that because yeah. he thinks, yeah, if you really believe this, you should be fishers for people. And one other thing I want to say about this, verse 19, yeah. is Jesus doesn't say, follow me and we will change the world. Mm-mm. He doesn't say, follow me uh, and we'll build the kingdom. He doesn't right. say, follow me and we'll take down those hypocritical 
Jewish leaders. He doesn't say, follow me and let's reform Judaism from the inside out. He doesn't say, follow me and let's take down the Roman Empire and the oppressive uh, industrial military complex that is running out of Rome. He says, I want you to care for people. Jesus' ministry is one-on-one for people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so many times the church thinks we're about bigger fish, (laughs) bigger fish to fry, bigger institutions. And the church should talk about justice. The church should talk about systemic problems in our society, 100%. But it's always got to be rooted in people. People. And this is what's amazing about people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., because he never (laughs) saw it as being about institutions. Yes, those matter. But he, he, when he, you could see it, and when he talked to white racists who would yell at him, he never stopped seeing them as people. Mm-hmm. And when you, when Jesus calls you, he calls you to care about people because that's his heart. And just another right. Paul's all story. Um, when I was in seminary, I asked him, Paul, you have this amazing gift of remembering names. It's like this real superpower you have. Like, what's your secret? And I thought, because uh, I knew it was going to be, you know, ministry gold if I could remember names. And, uh, I thought he might have some mnemonic device, some sort of secret system mm-hmm. involving index cards and rubber bands, and I don't know what he... But he said, you just got to care about people. And I said, gosh darn it, Paul, I don't want to... Like, I, give me a system. But he was so right. And uh, that's affected my ministry ever since, because now when I'm meeting people after church or whatever, because of what Paul said, I, there's this little little Paul's all on my shoulder that says, hey... Remember, these are people and care about them. And he's just quoting Jesus, uh, who said, fish for people. And uh, just finally, uh, an interesting thing. A couple of years ago when I was prepping for this sermon, I read about net fishing and how they do it in Galilee. And um, and net fishing, wherever it's done, um, to, to really be a fisher of people is to see yourself as a fish as well. Mm. Uh, you're a fish. And, uh, you know, the truth is, is that the way the net comes up, the way the net comes up when you're fish, see, so fish can see straight. They can't see up or down. And that's why the net comes from uh, below. And, um, and, uh, and cause if you could see the net coming, you'd run the other way. That's just our instinct. Um, but the truth is, is that it always, the gospel always comes from the bottom up and uh, it always comes in ways we wouldn't expect it. It comes in a, a baby in Jesus who winds up to be the, the breaker of rods, um, breaker of chains like Daenerys Targaryen, comes to us in a, in a, in a rabbi from Galilee, you know, who's uh, hired the worst, uh, brought on board the worst um, team ever with no resume or credible skills. And so, but that net comes from the bottom and it catches you as well. And it's caught you and it's going to catch your parishioners and it catches you for a purpose. And that's for salvation. And uh, really, if you can get that across, the net coming from the bottom up, uh, catching fish for salvation, uh, because that's the power of God unto salvation, um, uh, your people will leave comforted. Mm. Preach it. I don't think I have anything else to say. I think we we leave it for the uh, third Sunday after Epiphany and uh, share the good news, people. God bless you, everybody. Let's go fishing. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. 
We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.